0: It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Live from Armory Studios in Central Florida, you're listening to Weapons Hot, a New York Jets fan broadcast on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Drop all gas, no break. And now, give it up for your hosts, CJ, Kevin, Jimmy, and Harrison. Take it away, boys. What's going on, Jets Nation? Welcome to another edition of Weapons Hot, a New York Jets fan broadcast here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'm your host, CJ the Painkiller, Dee Simone. And I'm normally joined by my all-star squadron. Uh, One of my partners in crime, one of my wingmen, Mr. Kevin Jackson. He's running a little bit behind, so he will be joining me momentarily. And uh, Jimmy the Reaper Jardine is currently MIA. I know that last week he had a little bit of a family emergency that he was dealing with. So I'm hoping that that got handled and all that good stuff. So in the meantime, I'm going to be your pilot taking us through tonight. Flying the ship solo until my reinforcements arrive. As we talk, a little New York Jets, Buffalo Bills, Jets dropping their season finale, twenty-seven to ten to the Buffalo Bills in what could be considered kind of like the Jets junior varsity team actually uh, going out there and playing versus the versus the Buffalo Bills who were getting ready for the playoffs. So. Zach Wilson looked okay in this game. I mean, he struggled. He struggled a lot. Uh, had a lot of bad mechanical issues going on. And you know, one of the one of the biggest things is we we really weren't looking. Uh, well, listen, I, I'm I'm not going to speak for everybody. I'm going to speak for myself. I was not really looking for the Jets to come out and actually go out there. And beat Buffalo, although I would have liked to. I didn't pick them to, to to beat Buffalo in this game. So, but what I did wanted them to do was, I wanted them to build off of the success that they had against Tampa Bay. Where, they pretty much had the world champs on the ropes for a good portion of the game. And then, you know, just um kind of ran, ran out of gas at the end. So, one of the biggest things that I, I looked at, to be honest with you, when I'm looking at the, the the New York Jets as a whole, you know, kudos to the defense. The defense kept them in, you know, despite fielding a mesh unit. You know, C.J. Mosley did what he could. Uh, but, you know, the Jets' offensive line and, you know, the Jets' offense basically being without the majority of their wide receivers. I mean, they had Jameson Crowder. They didn't have Braxton Barrios or Elijah Moore for this game. So, both of them were out. Um, you lose Jamison Crowder pretty much for half the game because he ends up re-injuring a calf. So, you have Denzel Mims, uh, who, who was out there with DJ Montgomery and Tyreek Black. And Tyreek Black actually made, um, a, a pretty cool catch that kind of drew, uh, drew some attention to everybody. So, that's a, that's a really cool thing. Um. The, the only thing is we wanted to see more people kind of go out there and, and perform. You know, Michael Carter. Michael Carter was out there. Ty Johnson was out there. Uh, Zach Wilson trying to make something, uh, something happen. You know, but a lot of things did not go the Jets' way in an incredibly difficult uh, environment. So, my co-host is actually joining me right now. Ladies and gentlemen! Put your hands together for the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Mr. Spotty Blackman himself, Mr. Kevin Jackson! <laughs> Jax, what's good? I'm trying to play some music over here. You good go. evening,
1: everybody. There we go.
0: I'm
1: thankful to be back, man. Thank you again for the... Thank you again for the intro. You know, obviously, I appreciate it. The end of a, of a somewhat difficult season. Oh, um, Can't even say that, that there aren't any questions in particular that aren't, like, hugely pressing, even more than maybe there was last season. But uh, I guess as we go along, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it. But um, we got a lot, to, I guess, to look forward to, man.
0: And uh, a, a lot of uncertainty. We got a request from good old Nick Shine, who might, who might want to join the show. So I'm going to try and get him yeah. on. Did we really expect... Anything from the Jets versus the Buffalo Bills this week? I mean, like, look, we all dreamed, myself included. I wanted to be so wrong last week when I had said I didn't think that the Jets were going to beat Buffalo. I basically expected this to be like a 60-10 to 10 whitewash. Because, I mean, hey, let's, let's face it. Last year, the Buffalo Bills were in a similar position. They basically had a, they didn't really need the game. Because regardless whether they would have won or they lost the game, If the New England Patriots lost their game against the Miami Dolphins, which they in fact did, the Buffalo Bills would have ended up backing into the AFC East Division title. So, to me, this game really didn't mean anything to them. So, they could have started like the JV squad if they wanted to. So, I mean, were we really expecting the Jets to win? I know that we were trying, the way that I was looking at it was, look, you had an absolute beast of a game versus the world champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in which you almost beat them. All right, that's, I I know that there's no moral victories in football, but if you're looking for a silver lining, you went toe-to-toe with the world champs fielding 50% of your active roster, and the rest of it being a bunch of backups and a bunch of bums that you signed, you know, up, uh, up off under the bridge like two days ago. All right, and then, you could even make the same argument for the Buffalo Bills game. Now, I don't want to make it sound like I'm drinking the green and white Kool-Aid and, and you know, the green and white goggles because, you know, certain people going to be all up in the comments being like, Oh! You're guzzling the Kool-Aid! Just keep guzzling the Kool-Aid, CJ! But you can't deny the effort that was put together on the field. Like, Rosala had these players ready to kick some ass. All right? And they, as far as I'm concerned, they laid it all out on the field. So I mean, I couldn't be prouder of this squad. And also take a look at the Buffalo game there, Kevin. This was 13 to 10 until about 7 minutes in the fourth quarter. So at any time the Jets just needed one play. It was
1: a really good game.
0: Right. They just needed one play. They needed the yeah. offense to make one play and they could have took the lead. And then the defense would have just had to dig deep, get those clamps down and try to win that ball game.
1: A tall ask. For the defense, obviously, it's difficult. I'm just going to keep it real. No, we didn't expect to win this game. But when we had Ryan on last week, um, I remember saying to him very specifically, we always play Buffalo tough when we come there. I mean, the expectation is that, you know, we're not going to go in and we're not going to go and and expect to blow them out. But um, they shouldn't expect to blow us out either, uh, really. And, I mean, just that's really what it is that we want out of this team, especially at this point in 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 the process right so i don't know man i i mean i I, i'm gonna say that i'm gonna take some positive out of it just because i know that there was a lot of uh, a lot of negative to the game but i think that some of what was negative can be explained away or at least can can, i don't like to want to say it that way so let me be careful with my words but um you you can kind of point to why we had some of the difficulties that we had and you can point to how it is that uh, you know it's not going to look that way next season, uh, including right. the defense that's going to get back, uh, you know, really, really high caliber guys that we're not going to have to trade or or, or draft. They're going to it's kind of built in and and, and getting uh, you know Carl Lawson and those guys back.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a huge boost for the New York Jets going into next year. Is the fact that we're getting a lot of guys who were hurt this year, um, and now. Next year, we'll be able to get some of these players back. But, you know, make no mistake about it. I don't know if you were able to listen to the Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, end of year press conference. But it was something that I paid attention to. And after I listened to it live, I went ahead and I went back and I watched it again and then watched it again just because I wanted to make sure that I heard what I was actually hearing. Joe Douglas was incredibly 100% truthful. He basically took the blame For this crappy season, and where in the NFL are you going to have a GM that's going to sit there and say, "I have to do better because six wins in two years is unacceptable for us. We need to start winning now. This is New York. We expect results." Now, granted, I'm paraphrasing. You you know, he 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 didn't say all of that, but the the majority of it he did say, and that was the gist that I got. so what was your thoughts about the press conference and what did you take away from it?
1: I think he responded well to to some of the difficult questions that we have and I mean it, obviously th- we're in a situation that as fans and 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 as a you know on on a whole as 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 a fan base you know we're, we're just getting tired right and I mean you know he said what it is that he needed to say and I think some of the realities of of where in the process we are kind of do settle in because we do, you know, need to draft well. We do need to bring in free agents. We do need to do all of those things, and he's absolutely right. Two and you know, uh, you know, six games over two seasons is not acceptable. You kind of got to realize that you know, two of those wins came last season with a completely different setup, and and you know, again, we're in a place where it's not fair to judge them on what was happening when when uh, the the last regime was here. Uh, but Joe, D- or, excuse me, the last coaching staff was here, pardon me, but uh, Joe Douglas himself uh, has, you know, some responsibility in this. And I think that, you know, he he manned up a little bit today. So, or, or excuse me, in, in that press conference. He really, he really say had no choice.
0: That him to say, I 100% agree. And then some people like made the determination that they felt like Robert Silo was being rather cryptic about, you know, some of his messages toward the offseason. But I don't think he was cryptic at all. I think that he flat out just said, we made some improvements. Yeah, we we didn't get the desired result that we wanted this season, which was obviously a winning season and to play for the postseason. But they started playing much, much better down the stretch. And both you, me, Jimmy had come out and said that the month of December – is when we expect the Jets to start playing their best football because they had gone through so much crap early in the year. So we started to see Zach Wilson take those steps forward. Granted, he's not at the level that we would all like, not at the level that we would all feel comfortable going into next season. But you know what? He still made those steps forward. If he was still turning the ball over three, four times a game, still having issues with his mechanics, still having issues with his footwork, you know, just being a complete turnover machine like we watched Sam Darnold do, we would be going into this offseason with more questions than answers. But I think for me, I don't feel we have as many questions going forward as we did last year coming into this season that we just finished. Because I feel like that we know that there's a significant talent deficit on this team. We know the areas of need we know the areas that need to be refortified and now the onus is going to be on joe douglas and robert sala to put their heads together along with the rest of their coaching staff the rest of their pro scouting staff to go out and to get those horses that we need to be competitive next year because if if
1: Point blank period
0: because if, if if robert sala goes out next year and they have a 5 and 12 season or they have another 4 and 13 season some serious questions are going to be asked not only of Joe Douglas, but of the coaching staff, too. And then don't be surprised if you start hearing, a, you know, chants rain down, fire Joe Douglas, fire Robert Zala, just like they were doing before. So we
1: we won't – we probably won't get we – won't, we won't get banners on airplanes, but we'll definitely start to hear, you know, really loudly, you know, some of the folks who, you know, are, are really just fed up at this point. Uh, look, factually – uh Joe Douglas has, he's, he has been here longer and he has had his, his, his thumb, you know, kind of in position a little longer than, than Robert Sala has. And Robert Sala, you know, you, you think about it, he comes in as this really highly touted guy and uh he may, you know, have, and I mean, we don't know obviously. And, you know, I like Joe Douglas, but he may have been put in a situation where, you know, he's not going to have all of what it is that he needs to, to be successful. And that is going to be based on what Joe Douglas does. So, um, I know we're going to talk about draft and all of that probably later, but you know, I, I'm expecting Joe Douglas is, is probably feeling a little bit of the pressure right now. Um, and, and I'm not going to say he's going to go and do something out of character. Um, but I do think that what it is that he is going to do is he's going to be a lot more aggressive maybe than what it is that we think. And that may include some things that we don't expect either. I kind of have a feeling that we don't draft at four or 10. I mean, I, I'll just throw that out right now. I just, I, I really kind of think that there's going to be a lot of movement uh, that that goes on, early and late. You know, we, we don't have any really late round picks, but we'll, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, but but yeah, this is the, the the problem. I I think is that again, Joe Douglas is responsible for not only adding starting caliber talent, but also filling out the depth at the back end. And you know, you kind of bring in guys, and you see w- which cream rises to the top, and which guys are going to be, you know, uh, you know, that 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 depth. And uh, then you add more guys, and you know, as of right now, um, this is going to be, I guess, maybe the third season where he's going to have, you know, a, a serious hand in in adding personnel. And we ne- we really need to see how how he does that, how well he actually is able to give Robert Sala what he needs, um, before we actually start, you know, pulling out the pitchforks for Robert Sala also.
0: Right, I completely agree. And the thing is, is that look, w- you know, we've we've been talking about this for for months that we need to let football people do football work. And I just feel like that until we do, uh, un, uh, until we actually let our football people do football work, we're going to continue to have these questions. But I definitely think that those questions will, in fact, be answered because we're starting to see something that, to me, is a little bit refreshing within the New York Jets organization, and that is a bun- is, is that um people taking accountability right how many times have we heard in this organization or have we begged as fans for accountability P- people go out there and be be accountable for the actions if you screw up take the hit for it you know if you if if you don't you know if somebody else screws up you know they should go out and take the hit for it so we've kind of asked Joe Douglas to come in and to fix a train wreck that he basically had to strip down to the studs to start all over again because the person running a train wreck was a train wreck himself. Adam Gase being head coach, would basically, as far as I'm concerned, the Jets just punted on two years and, and pretty much the rest of Sam Donald's rookie contract. So Joe Douglas, he's responsible for a lot of it.
1: He's going to be responsible.
0: Look, I, I'm, I'm going to be that guy,
1: right? Because I'm the guy that says that where we stand right now is where we need to have maybe even more patience. And I think that the reason why we would give patience is because we would be optimistic about the direction that we've seen. Do we, are, are we, are we, say are we sold immediately now? 1000% on Zach Wilson? No. But uh you know, at this point in time, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't think that we probably should be. There's an extremely small percentage of, of rookie quarterbacks that come in and you know, right out the gate that the kid's going to be a baller. And I mean, we, we've seen Zach do things, got baller tendencies and we can see that but we haven't seen it you know come to fruition because he having his own growing pains but the team around him is 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 kind of going through some of them saying but so is Robert Salah so is Zach so is Zach Wilson so mm-hmm. is you know every everybody else that you know puts on a, a helmet or or rubs down a, a you know a, a knee or the expectation is that we're supposed to be making all of these huge strides it's really just been a a really difficult season that question rich amini asked the other day about you know why would you feel confident about zach i kind of think that was a kind of an ask question to ask but there is some validity in 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 asking the question because i think it's kind of low-hanging fruit you can say that zach really hasn't played well this season there are there's a there's film there's really you know crazy instances and uh you know, it's because it's the Jets that nobody's really going to do the homework and watch all of the games. They'll just take what it is that they see in the highlights and they'll run with even the highlights don't even show really the best of what it is that we have. They just, you know, they treat us like the Jets, so we can expect that. But the problem is, is that, you know, we kind of do see that, that, that progress, even if it is incremental and slow, we have more increments to go. And this is really where we kind of need to ease up a little bit maybe and, and You know, kind of wait until after we see what happens in free agency or the draft. Like, I don't want to spend my whole entire offseason being pissed off because one thing or another isn't happening. Um, Exactly. I just want to see what it looks like when we go into the season.
0: Dude, I completely agree. Because what was the one thing that we all said last year where we, I, the entire offseason was just a complete and utter question mark. And just from that particular question mark itself. We didn't know who the head coaching candidates were. We were afraid who Christopher Johnson was on the phone was. We didn't know what direction this franchise was going. The only thing that we were happy about was, thank God that Adam Gates was out of the building and we probably were going to have to call a few priests to perform exorcisms to get all the freaking souls and the dead bodies out of one jet's drive so it can be cleansed and purified, okay? So, I mean, anything short of burning the building down to the studs would have probably been acceptable, you know, at at, at that point. So when Joe Douglas hired Robert Sala, when Joe Douglas had his introductory press conference with Robert Sala, I didn't get that feeling like, okay, here we go. Here's another guy who's trying to pitch his own guy. Oh, great. They got Vin Diesel to coach the, uh, 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 a Vin Diesel lookalike to coach the team. Oh, great. This should be good. Okay. I actually felt like, all right, well, look, He's your guy, right? Well, guess what? You two are joined at the hip, and I don't want to hear any more slogans that you guys are going to put on the back of t-shirts or whatever they're going to do, and we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do the other thing. You know how you could show me? You want you want me to buy in? Go on the field, show me a product that's worth rooting for, and then I'll begin to buy in. Now, at the beginning of this season, we all got excited. We were all like, oh, yeah, we should be able to do this. This is going to be great, right? People were predicting double-digit wins. We were saying, "Yeah, you know, Jets history. First-time head coaches when they come in, first-year head coaches have a tendency to do really, really well because it's a no, it's a new voice in the locker room." But here's what we had working against us: starting ten rookies right off the bat. Most rookies, most rookies out of any NFL team whatsoever. Rookie quarterback, revamped offensive line, which we really didn't know what we were going to get out of them. Right, went from four preseason games to three preseason games, and even in the preseason games, we still had questions as to did we have a legitimate quarterback competition, or did the kid just get the quarterback position? To, did the kid get the start by default? Then we started with the debates. Right? I
1: don't think I don't think there was an expectation for any of other quarterback starting this season.
0: No, I don't, I don't think so. That. But think we really if you <laughs> hindsight, if you take a look at it, right? Do you think that when Zach got hurt, right? Zach ended up getting hurt, and he was out for a couple games. And then when he came back, he looked much better, and he was playing much better than he did before he got hurt. Right? So my argument is: Do you think the kid would have benefited by sitting four or five games at the beginning of the season, throwing a Mike White to the I mean, wolves?
1: I think rookies should sit a year anyway. I mean, just just realistically, thank you. Should a year? There are situations where they can play themselves in, but this situation is different. This situation isn't a situation where, you know, the expectation was, you know, Mike White was gonna was was gonna start and and, and Zach was gonna have a, an opportunity to to sit and learn. This was all about, you know what, Zach is our guy. We feel like, you know, the kids got the 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 skill to be able to kind of learn on the fly. So we're gonna give him that job. We think we think that he's got you know a, enough of what it takes to be able to hold his own. And, uh, you know, for the most part, he hasn't been able to hold his own. Um, But, you know, I I think Robert Salas said it best when he said, yeah, Zach is, you know, kind of getting it all right now. He's learning everything now. Right. And that's what it is that we've seen. The injury allowed him to kind of sit back and maybe, you know, gain a little perspective, which I think is what really has been the the improvement that we've seen in this game it he, it just looks like he's seeing things differently you know and sometimes right. you know you change your perspective it changes your understanding it changes your understanding you know you you, you do different and, and and better stuff so where we are right now I still think that we're in 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 a pretty good position I I think there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to have complaints and I think that's cool to have them you know we can we can discuss the merits of them as 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 oh you, yeah. know, you see fit and hit me up at Ask Body Black enjoy you could you know we can discuss that ad nauseum if you if if you have time and and if i have time i don't think this is time to jump off the cliff and there's so many people that's standing on the cliff right now kind of teetering tottering waiting for a stiff wind and as soon as the stiff wind blows somebody's gonna fall off and i'm not gonna be the one that's gonna sit back and say you know if if we don't get xyz free agent that the sky is falling and, and, and the season is over um, you know, we we brought in guys, we, we bring in guys every year that we think, you know, oh that yeah, this guy's gonna do well. This guy's gonna oh yeah, we can talk ourselves into a guy, you know, that we like or that we want to play well. And if he, you know, has a couple of tackles or or makes a couple of plays where he's visible, you know, we can justify liking him and keeping him on the team. But I think what we're what we're needing to do right now is we're needing to see more guys that are, you know, that are making plays and we don't have enough of them. Right now, right, we're, we're kind of in a spot right now where anybody that you bring in, you know, should be a tribute. To, like, what? What's the cliche? The the play doesn't care who makes it. We just need more guys that's really looking to make it. And and unfortunately, it's going to take time coming from where it is that we were. Especially when you're talking about the rookie head coaches in particular, because Ty Bowles came in and had a great first season. You know what? What happened when Rex came in and Adam Gase came in and. and it looked okay, you know. I guess, or at least it looked like we were moving in the right direction, and then it fell off the damn cliff. And that happened with all of them. The same thing with Ty Bowles. Ty Bowles he fell off the cliff. Rex Ryan, right. fell oh off the dude, cliff. it was beyond. Um, it was
0: it was beyond. This I think is, is different
1: because I think that the, the circumstances surrounding everything else. Are done.
0: So it's it's just really frustrating because you know when every year for the offseason, we always talk about you know things that that we wanted to see happen, things that we wished that would have actually happened. And you know this season, especially with um, with Zach Wilson and the development of Zach Wilson, you know there were fans that were split. Right? We talked about this during the off season where we had you know people people saying that wins and losses weren't matter. Yours truly, it was more about the development of Zach Wilson, the development of the rookies, and us being able to be a competitive football team in twenty twenty two. Whereas others were like, yeah, yeah we, could, we could still be competitive. What are you saying? Uh, how, how could you say it's not about wins and losses? What's wrong with you? And then all of a sudden, you know, we started with the whole, you're not a real Jets fan. How could you root for, uh, how, could you, uh, how could you not for, root for wins and losses? How could you root against your team and this, that, and the third? And it's I mean, like I mean, me I mean. just sitting here going, you just don't get it, do you? It's, I want to see my quarterback develop. I want to see the rookie linebackers that we have here develop. I want to see the rookie safeties and the rookie corners come in and develop. Because if they do, then guess what? Then that's going to make it better for all of us. So, and to throw his two cents in on this situation. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, I want to introduce Mr. Nick Shine Jr. to the show. Nick, you have any comments for what for what I just talked about? Because you and I... Last week on Webster Scott Kalisby, who was nice enough to give us a few minutes of his time to join us. Man, Kevin, you should have been there last. But here's the thing. We we had so many different – there were different fans, different factions of the fan base with different expectations when it came to the football team. And everybody criticizing the other as to what was really realistic or, or not. So, Nick, I'm curious to hear what you thought. I know you've been listening to the show up to this point. So I'm, I'm curious as to your two cents worth, what say you about what Kevin and I have been kicking around here uh, in regards to the Jets going into the offseason?
2: Everybody always has a different vision on how for their team to get great, right? Everyone's got – some say, oh, we need a weapon. Others say we need alignment. Some say we need to win games with the young QB. Some say, hey – we're not good enough. We need more blue chip players. The last couple of years, I heard you guys talking about with Rex and then with, with Bowles, the issues with those teams were they were all veteran built, right? We suck so bad at drafting that we haven't been able to sustain any f- flashes of quality football because we haven't been able to build up the roster. We don't have guys on second contracts. That's why we have so much cap room year after year because guys haven't been good enough to deserve or get extensions uh this year with zach down the end and especially with the luxury of the seahawks and i almost nailed it since last april i've called seattle to be six and 11 and it's one of those things that i feel like i was manifesting (laughs) by talking about it week in and week out and i just missed and they got to seven and ten uh so now what i'm manifesting is Aiden Hutchinson being there at four. He's got that physical – we, we'll get it more into that later, I'm sure. But that's my new manifestation. But I wanted to see Zach win games. And then Moore goes out, Davis goes out, Crowder goes out. Yeah. He didn't throw interceptions. Uh, he was on his fourth left tackle. He was on – Adoga was in there at one point. I didn't even know Adoga was still had access to the building. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the guys out there on the field one day, like playing, protected Zach's backside. You know, you're on your second center. You're on your second right tackle. You're on your fourth tight end. Carter was out. You're on your second. Coleman was out. For Zach not to throw interceptions the last five games, I know he held the ball too long, but I think he was more concerned with protecting the ball and maybe taking a 10, 15-yard loss than than throwing a pick. But now we get got him not throwing picks. Let's get him not taking 15-yard losses. The next step in the progression, right? Right. But as the weapons get better around him, the kid's going to play better.
1: I agree with that a million percent, right? The reality is is that again that, that's what we were kind of just talking about as you came in Nick. and and welcome aboard first. Let me say that. Um, what
2: was your name? It's not on the screen. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm Kevin or or Spotty. Nice, to meet, you, bro. nice to meet you too, Nick. The fact is is that, that is in particular why we are in the position that we are and why I think we should actually be a little more patient in the process, right? We we've seen Joe Douglas have more success where we stand right now. Um, if, if we get two or three guys next season that that end up really starting and, and, and even more, you know, kind of contributing to the depth of this team, it does look a lot different. It does, you know, kind of change the whole conversation about, you know, where we should be with, with regards to wins and losses or, or, or you know, meaningful football late in the season. But we kind of got to get there. And right now, the, uh, no ripping our hair out, you know, about, you know, if, if this guy or that guy isn't going to be here, we, we kind of just wait. You have to wait and see what the finished product looks like. Um I see uh, one of of my boys, and I'm I'm thankful to have Nick tonight, but my man Jeremy Cravat in the building, my guy. Good to see you. What's What's going on, brother? How you doing?
3: What's up? Every time I see you, I just want to (laughs) go Is he going
1: to do the worm? I've been called much worse than that. Trust me, I've been called much worse than that. Kind of kicking around this whole, uh, you know, what what the trajectory of the team looks like and and where it is that we kind of are Nick just offered some really awesome perspective with regards to, uh, you know, kind of talent or us being maybe talent bereft a little bit. What do you think? Uh, You you have any thoughts about the state of the state of the the team uh, coming out of the season?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that what was exposed in our team, you know, because I know a a lot of people say injuries, 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 but what that exposed was that we are, you know, it was only, you know, we stripped down the team. We drafted a bunch of guys, we signed some guys, and it looked good on paper when you looked at the guys who were going to come in at the starting positions. But injuries are a part of football. And it takes time to build the depth, right? And to have a deep team. So when you look at other teams, you know, that, you know, championship type teams and they have injuries, they could still win because they have deeper rosters. And it's going to take us time to get there. It's, not, it's more than just getting those, that starting 22 guys. A team, you know, is 53, what, 48 dress. And, you have to have, you know, it has to go beyond that 22.
1: Absolutely. It's like having, you know, a million draft picks and none of them actually panning out, you know, that that really does hurt because you figure maybe, maybe, maybe it's those guys aren't superstar players. But if, if even a few of those guys pan out and, uh, you know, make it to their second contracts because we're developing them properly, you know, that, that does change the whole dynamic when it comes to is, do you have a guy that can kind of step in and win games when you need him to? We have a long way to go, I think, still in that process. I mean, we're looking at guys right now that are starting that really shouldn't be, right? Within the next two or three years, they might actually be those depth guys, those veteran, you know, kind of guys that you have in your locker room that have been here. They've done that. They know, you know, what it was like when, you know, or or they will know what it was like when we were kind of going through this stage of the process. And they'll know what it's like when we start winning. And those are the kind of guys that we, you know we want to have, and we want to add to our locker room because that is the culture changer, right? That's that's the whole point about what Joe Douglas and these guys are talking about with with building a culture.
0: I do have a couple of questions in the chat that I want to get on. Um, shout out to Richard Tinley, huge fan of the show. Thank you again for tuning in tonight. Hey guys, do we use the fifty year option on Quinn and Williams? So what do you guys think? So we'll start with Kevin, then we'll go to Jeremy. And then we'll circle back around to Nick. Well, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to save that question (laughs) for the second question. I actually have a new listener. I want to get this question on because I'm, like, super excited to, you know, anytime we we get new people in the feed, it's always great. Natasha Lesh, uh, actually senior airman uh, Natasha Lesh from Patrick Space Force Base Pharmacy. Woo! Give it up for the 45th Medical Group, baby! So she has a question for the panel. So how long has the Jets love been going on here from our boys? So we'll circle around Nick. We'll go to Jeremy and then we'll finish up with Kevin and I'll follow up the rear.
2: How long have we been Jets fans?
0: Yes. I became a a jet fan. Uh, the Wesley Welker walk-off game
2: against the dolphins, 51 45. My grandfather took me for my birthday. We sat in the last row of the stadium. Ironically, when I got season tickets on my own in 2000, I was also in the last row of the stadium. Never sat in my seat once in 11 years. Uh, we, uh, we went to that game. They hit the walk-off. The walk-off came right at us. I turned to my grandfather and said, this is the greatest thing ever. This is the best team I've ever seen. I'm a Jet fan now. Yeah, I, I, I was wrong. Okay. But <laughs> that, that was the day where, uh, where I, I was hooked. The, the Welker walk-off. And a couple of years ago, uh, my girlfriend at the time and my two kids, we'd go to the game and Wesley's signing things outside. And I told them that story. And I go, I have you to blame for all of this. <laughs> wow. Uh.
3: I think it was, I've been a Jeff, it was about in 82. Um, it was the year before the mud bowl year against Miami. I was probably in fifth grade. And I don't remember if it was how much of the season I watched, but I remember the first passionate moment where I really cared about a football game was um, a wild card game against Buffalo. In it was the year, you know. So it was the year before, but we had the sack exchange, Richard Todd, and I remember passionately being devastated. Like Richard Todd threw an interception right at the end of that wild card game.
2: What a surprise! And, and, Not through an interception, yeah. So.
3: Right, it was like foreshadowing <laughs> for what was yeah, come the following year because he threw an into You know, we were like making a twenty-three yard line. We're at there twenty-three near the end of the game. He throws a pick. And I remember being so upset. I punched the floor. My friend from my fifth grade class was with me, and we were both screaming, upset, mad. And then that was just, you know, um, that was it for me. I mean, the whole next year was I mean, it was passionate Jets fan from that point on.
1: The stories are are, are really dope. As a as a teenager, my uncle Richard was a, a towel, a towel, and a water boy for the Jets. And I mean, I'm a child, yeah, six, seven years old. My uncle, teenager boy for the Jets. Um, you know, takes me to practice and, uh, you know, I'm standing on the sideline and I'm seeing guys, Bobby Jackson, all these other players. That was kind of it. Like that. My first really experience with with football close up, because I mean, I wasn't really even playing football at the time. I was still, you know, kind of really young. My first experience with football was being in the stands and all of that. And it was just it was just an awesome, awesome experience. I've never been a fan really of another team. The way that I have of the Jets, Um and I mean, we follow players. I mean, th- there were times, you know, g- growing up, where you know, team you start winning, and Vinny and Chad, and we start to get to, you know, the the Algro. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Algro wasn't um, bad until the end of that then, season. Uh, you know, I Herms just think And, all that, all
1: that. and I'm, I'm excited. You know, was born in New York and and you know, kind of spent a lot of time in New York as a as a kid. Then we moved to California, so I'm on the I'm on the, the you know, watching watching the Raiders, man, and, and that was big deal. And then the dynasty in San Francisco and all that. So I, I was there through a lot of that. But still, remained a Jets fan. And then uh came home. I, I had the pleasure of saying that uh, every Jets game that I had ever been to live, we won. What, you uh, go to one game? All right, guys. <laughs> uh Yeah, that was it. So, I mean, I, I've been a, a Jets fan for like 40 years, my years now almost. We go way back with this.
2: I well, heard you mention the Niners. If you guys have Peacock, there's a – uh a really good documentary on Joe Montana right now. My son and I are watching it. We just started, but it, it's awesome. Joe Montana was the best.
3: I, yeah, I was. A fu- it's so funny, right? Because he didn't even have to be a fan of the Niners to know that. Like he you was. Appreciate- he best.
2: transcended teams. You just liked him. He was perfect. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He was the guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have been a Jets fan. I mean, for us, being <laughs> AFC fans, we don't have an issue with them. But I'm sure if you talk to Cowboys, Giants fans, like, we hate Brady. You right. know, teams in the NFC, they're like, oh, Brady's so great. And we're like, fuck that. He's the devil. <laughs> He's an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> but it, being a Jet fan, when as a kid, Joe Montana was as cool as it got, man. Yeah, he was. He was He was the absolute best. I argued. The for Haynes some- commercials, all that shit. He was just the coolest dude in the world. <laughs> Yep. I, I
3: argued forever that he was like, you know, remember the debates, um, Marino or Montana, and I was like, give me a break. Like we people used, used to fight over that, you know. I finally waved. I think the Atlanta Super Bowl with Brady finally made me just like throw in the towel and say, okay, Brady. <sighs> uh.
2: Brady going to Tampa made me. Yeah, I was like, all right. Yeah. Now, now I can appreciate it. not have my blood.
0: Powder. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so I've been a Jets fan. Go
2: Eagles!
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I've been a Jets fan now since 1970. So I'm pushing what 45 years, pretty much, almost Um, 44, 45 years. I was born in 78, so 42 years. Yeah. So Jets fan was a lot of my friends growing up were Giants fans, so I wanted to be different. So that's what I did. I ended up rooting for the Jets. My favorite player was Bobby Jackson. Um, another one of my favorite players was Altun. Uh, another one of my favorite players was Wesley Walker. Um, a, a, another one of my favorite players was Freeman McNeil, Johnny Hector. So these were all guys that, that that I grew up with, grew up with, and I liked. Being a Jets fan was an incredibly stressful time. I mean, obviously Michael's years weren't that bad. Joe Walton was just a mess. I think we had one or two good years, and then after that, it was just a complete disaster. I think he was pretty much responsible for ending Bobby Jackson's uh, NFL career. I'm I'm convinced of that. So then, you know, you had your Bruce Coslitz, your Rich Kotite, your Pete Carroll, who coached one year in that. And then you really started to get respectability once we had Bill Parcells. Then Bill Parcells, Al Groh, uh, Herman Edwards, Eric Mangini, right? So for me, just watching... Ken O'Brien out there, watching uh, Richard Todd out there, watching Boomer Esiason out there, watching Glenn Foley, <laughs> Browning Nagel, oh, just the abominations of people that we've had at, mm-hmm. at, at, at quarterback. Other than Ken O'Brien and Chad Pennington and, and Vinny Testaverde for the couple of years that he was there, for me, that, that's what did it. I mean, when I used to play football in, in the street with my buddy Steve Sackey, uh, he actually lives over in Bradenton now. He's a buddy of mine. We grew up on Swinton Avenue in the Bronx in Trog's Neck. And, you know, we always pretended we were Ken O'Brien, Wesley Walker, or Ken O'Brien, Altoon. Uh, and, you know, we, we always we always played uh, football in the snow, you know, tackle football in the snow, two-hand touch, you know, where like three, three sewer caps where the middle sewer was the first down. So we had so many neighbors yelling out at us over there. You
3: kid, you're from my car.
0: So you know when we would like, you know, okay, you're gonna go five steps and do a button, a button hook at the Buick over there, and then cut across. So yeah, those are those are fun times, fun fun times, and just ever since love the Jets. Just I used to get so much uh, so much trash talk, but you know what? I mean, we've had a, we have our good. We have just as many good memories as we had bad. The only problem is we just don't have that chip to show for it. So once we get that chip, then the, the load will lighten a lot. So, all right. So anyhow, I want to transition we over have good to
2: memories. just don't have the ultimate memory.
0: Right, exactly. We just don't have the ultimate memory. So once we win the Super Bowl, I'm telling you, I'm going to be that and guy in the I stands. I just to as... add what you did. <laughs> I'm going to be that guy the, in the, the stands. The guy who
2: I loved being as a kid when Okay. teams did kickoffs. It was the greatest name in all sports when I was a kid. JoJo Townsell.
0: Yup. <laughs> yes.
2: JoJo Townsell. JoJo Townsell. So For a punt return, I'm JoJo Townsell. <laughs> oh, wow. I love Mickey Shuler. Yup, Mickey, Mickey Shuler. Shuler. was
3: my tight end, man. I loved him. Last. When I was a kid, I used to pretend I was him. Never drop the ball. Just catch every pass.
2: If we yep. could only have protected Ken O'Brien. If we could have kept him upright, man.
3: Yeah. Right. We yeah, probably would have gotten
0: another that two, three years was out of
2: him. Elite when we could protect him.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Ken
2: O'Brien needed <laughs> <for> him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn straight. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Pennington too. Somber news, obviously, for Jets Nation on Monday. Hall of Fame wide receiver Don Maynard, a uh, member of the New York Jets only Super Bowl championship team in Super Bowl three, uh, passed away Monday at the age of eighty six. Joe Namath actually put out a couple of tweets that were absolutely beautiful in remembrance of of Don Maynard and he loved Don not only as a teammate but also as a person always spoke very very highly of him Don's always been an ambassador of the New York Jets organization uh, just a just a, a picture of gl a, a picture of of class and, and gratuity and just it, it's it, it's a sad loss but When you go and take a look at his career... Alright, think of it this way, Jet fans. The New York Jets at one time had the all-time leading wide receiver in the NFL. And that was Don Maynard. He went to the Hall of Fame in 83. Yeah. And he was well, well deserving of the honor. So, Nick, we'll start with you, then we'll circle around to Jeremy. I know you probably have only gotten to see highlights of Don Maynard. But, what would you take away from this and how, to, and how to honor that the number 13 will never be worn by another New York ever again.
2: I was born in 78, so I never, got, right. to play, yeah, I never got to see him play. Yeah, I never got to see him play either. ESPN Classic, YouTube, whenever you see Joe Maynard. And something cool that I learned this week was that in the Super Bowl, he had zero catches. And his quote after the game was a quote that an ultimate team player would make. And his quote was, I had the game of my life. I lined up wide right. They sent two or three to cover me. Every playable to do things on the other side of the field. When in the history of the NFL have you a wide receiver, the <laughs> diva position, say that they had a great game with zero catches? I can't think of another guy. It just shows you that what winning meant to him, the sacrifice he would make for the t- betterment of the team, and the t- man that he was. So nothing but respect for everything my father and grandfather ever told me about him. And, you know, it was a sad day for the Jets. Not that I'm happy it happened, but I'm happy when it did happen, the the team was able to address it. They were having their media day like an hour later. So the team was able to pay him and his family some homage. If it happens a couple days later, it's just a press release, right? Not that it was good that it happened, but I thought the timing of it was almost perfect. Like the season's over. You can make a joke and say that this season killed him watching it. (laughs) He couldn't handle it. But I thought it was pretty cool that the team was able to all mention him and and speak about him and what he meant to the organization. Young guys, they see the picture up on the wall in the indoor facility. They see the the placards on the wall and the awards that he's won. But all in all, great player, great man, great teammate. And uh, it it sucks
0: that, that he's gone. All right, Jeremy. Thoughts on Don Maiden?
2: Almost like it's
3: shocking that the retirement of his number didn't happen while he was alive. um, But I guess maybe they didn't do it back then. So, you know, so it just never happened. But because, like, when you look, because, you know, I wasn't, again, Yeah, me neither. I didn't know. I only knew some highlights and tapes of, you know, 69 Super Bowl and everything. Um, It's just a wonder that when you look at his his stats, I never realized how good he was. Um, And it's Just amazing that we need to do more of of that as an organization. Like we need to not wait until they pass away, but talk about the great players, not just Namath, but the other guys and, you know, hang their jerseys up and make them more noticeable and put more attention to them and build, you know, that kind of just create our own history right and our own traditions and like honor our former great players like before it's too late joe klecko like we need to get together as a community and get him into the hall of fame because that's the biggest scam in the world i don't even consider the hall of fame legitimate until they get him in it's a big hypocrisy so like we need to fight for those things and fight for our history as an organization you know of our team to be remembered and respected we had great players and it's just a shame that i'm learning more about him now in his passing than i knew about him you know, when he was alive. All
0: right, Kevin, your thoughts on the passing of Don Maynard.
1: Yeah, obviously, I I, I think we're all kind of just outside of the range of being able to see him play,
0: right? <laughs> so
1: um, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I went back and I watched a few clips a few years ago. Nick made a point, you know, you, you kind of see the pictures and you kind of see all of that and, and, and they, they, they pay homage in, in certain ways. But some of the young guys should actually try to be maybe looking at his film, right? To see what it looks like when you have a guy uh, that really is just grinding every single play, and that's what it is that I think that we got from Maynor, just being the best, one of the best receivers that uh, you know the 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 game has ever seen. So, um, again, I don't know personally what it was like to to live through something like that, and obviously as a Jets fan, I feel uh, for the Jets family and the Jets community. I've definitely i like i said i've I've seen some of the games and, and and some of the the footage um and and the guy was a beast i mean there's no question about that the numbers stand in that regard, so I'm excited that we had the opportunity to to celebrate him and i and and I'm hoping that maybe there was some more awareness brought to who it is that he was and really the greatness of his game. I hope that we, we get a, a few of the younger guys, you know, really do follow football back and, and see what it is that it looked like to have a Hall of Fame-type career the way that he did, especially here, right? Especially here. So excited to say that, uh, you know, I think we did it right. The off that we gave him um, it should probably continue for a little while longer. I think some of the young guys should just probably try to strive to be in that conversation when it comes to – uh, the history of Jets football players and wide receivers, uh, I- I- specifically.
0: I hear you. Yeah, my favorite memory of Don, of, uh, Don Maynard was watching the Super Bowl three highlights, and that used to make me excited. I Actually, went through some of these memories uh, this past Tuesday on on Mission Briefs when I I kind of did a little a little tribute to uh, to Don. One of the biggest things that I enjoyed was watching Don Maynard highlights from Super Bowl three and also from that playoff year and. Being able to go go on YouTube and and see some of his highlights and some of the ridiculous catches that he made, and he was just so fast, so strong off the line of scrimmage, um, it was just amazing to see him play. See the highlights, and, and I wish I would have gotten to see him play. You know, obviously, I mean, I was born in '72. It would have been a tremendous, tremendous joy for me to to be able to to watch him play at least once. So. All right, on that note, let's pop this off. Got a couple of comments I want to get on uh, on the air really quick. One of them from our resident pain in the ass who has made an appearance because he's at work, Mr. Scott Gleesby. Since I'm at work, I've been wanting to say how close we came to the 10 to 12 wins prediction. If we had a few more natural disasters and a couple more plane crashes, we would have had a chance. Matthias Simon, you name it, Maynard and George Sauer. Um, there was a time both had 1,000 yards, both Maynard and George Sauer. Guy Fisher in the chats and what's up to the crew. Jeff Stenberg to my my comment uh, in regards to when I was a kid pretending I was Ken O'Brien. What a depressing childhood that must have been to grow up to pretend, pre- pretending to be Ken O'Brien. I responded by it probably would have been even worse pretending <laughs> to be Steve Grogan. So if you're a true Patriots fan all the, all the way through history, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Guy Fisher was three years old when the Jets won the Super Bowl. Matthias Simon, again, Maynard, great wide receiver, awesome, great hands, at great speed. Uh, Scott Klesby, again, with a little bit of knowledge. The only player to play for the Titans, the Jets, and the Giants, which is correct. Don Maynard was actually drafted by the New York Giants, did not last very long with them. He was subsequently signed by the New York Titans, which, in turn, in 1960, turned into the, new, the aforementioned New York Jets. As I think keep- it's pretty cool that Maynard,
2: he's still the Jets all-time leading receiver so we all hope and pray Elijah Moore blows it out the water yeah but for Maynard to set that record in the early 70s and it lasted 50 years for him I think it's fantastic that the day he passed he was still the all-time leading receiver it's wild yep it's double sad right also when uh I've couldn't help but think of this joke when you mentioned being Kenny O'Brien. You spent a lot of time in the nurse's office?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Stenberg in the comments, again, we need to start a petition to get Kevin Jackson to replace Fireman Ed. Guy Fisher, we have to get back to that pride of wearing the uniform. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the name on the front is a lot more important than the one on the back. And hence the reason why you know, with the uniform change that the Jets were undergoing, this rebranding, to me, I think that they should have just looked to their past to dictate to their future. Now, I know that some of the past has not been very kind to the New York Jets and New York Jets fans, but some of the past has actually been very kind, you know, and shows a rich, proud, tradi- rich, proud history. All right, maybe not when we when we you know got Lou Holtz to coach the New York to coach the New York Jets and we ended up having a fight song, which is just completely ridiculous and and I just will never play on the air, but for the times of Wee Eubank, Bank, Walt Michaels, Joe Walton, even though you know he was he he was a a, a Giants personnel person before he ended up getting the job with the New York Jets. I mean, Bruce Coslett, even though he really didn't have the wins and loss record to back up for it, you know, he was a fighter and he was very proud to coach Bill Parcells, who turned this whole program around Pete Carroll, who I think that they should have given at least another or another kick in the can, um, before, him, you know, before, before they kind of kicked him to the curb and he ended up going to, uh, to college. So there, there've been a lot of Jets coaches. In most recent memory, that have held this job in very, very high esteem, and I believed, I truly believe that Robert Sala does as well, and I believe that Joe Douglas does as well, and I think he he wants to elevate this team back to NFL relevancy, and it, it's going to take going to take a little bit of work, and it's going to take a lot of pain. So the draft this year is going to be huge, going to be huge. So. It's going to be interesting to see exactly how this draft shakes out. I know Jeremy. Jeremy has a draft show that he just did on uh on Wednesday or was it Thursday? Uh, I I know one of them you had some sort of a bet, you had to swallow some sort of hot sauce or whatever, or hot bits uh or, or whatever. Yeah, Tell- we
2: uh <laughs> hot sauce. You hanging out with Drake?
3: Yeah, I uh I um on Wednesday night, to celebrate 200, because I just started my channel. and I told everybody, if you get me to 200, I will do, and I don't know how familiar you are with hot sauces, but there's one called The Last Dab. It's from, like, the show Hot Ones. Okay. It's the triple X pepper that was now named the Apollo. It's the hottest pepper. Hotter the... Anyway, I ate a teaspoon of that sauce and did a mock draft on... Uh, just... Teaspoon, no food or anything with no it? food with it, just ate a teaspoon of the last tab with I my brother. It. He did it too in solidarity. And then I went to a PFN mock draft simulator and did a jets draft in that condition. Finished the draft and then, of course, swallowed down like milk and yogurt, no stuff in my face and stuff. And people wanted to see me in that pain So now I have um a crazy hot pepper in the freezer, like a real pepper that someone grew for me. <laughs> and I'm gonna take a big bite of that pepper when I get to a thousand subscribers. So
2: Nice. Thoughts and prayers, bro. And... I don't. Uh, I'm, I'll admit it. I, I am a pussy when it comes to spice. Like some barbecue potato chips are too hot for me, and I blame my mother when I was me. My mother putting Tabasco sauce in my mouth when uh, when I would say a bad word did. So it's more of the trauma that my mother caused <laughs> that, that affected my childhood than being a gentleman <laughs> Oh wow! Alright, if, if you
3: want a good laugh. Go to NFL go to my channel, NFL Chaos with Jeremy on YouTube and, and it's the one of the top videos. It's like my, like it's You'll be a two
2: oh one after the show, I promise. It
3: says Noctraff hot sauce. You'll love it. Uh, I thoughts love it.
0: Thoughts and prayers, brother. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. So with all that, now what I'm gonna do is we're gonna swing around the room. We'll do some final thoughts um on the Jets regular season. Jeremy, I'm actually going to start with you this time. Then we'll swing around to Nick, and then I'm going to finish it off. And uh, then I would like you guys to give out your social media information so fans of Weapons Hot can follow you. Uh, Kevin Jackson, unfortunately, is going to be on the... Can uneaten. we
2: revisit that Quinnen topic? Yeah, absolutely we can. Can we revisit that
0: Quinnen topic you yeah. brought up earlier? And yeah, then, absolutely. I, I as a matter great, of fact, let's... let's let
2: that too before we go off?
0: Yeah, let's, let, let's do that now, as a matter of fact. Let, let's revisit the uh, the Quinnen topic. I believe it was Richard Tinley who was in the chats. He asked the question about do we do, we do the 50-year option for Quinnen. So, Nick, I'm actually going to start with you. We'll swing around to Jeremy, and then I'll finish it up, and then we'll do the reverse as we do our final thoughts. No, no. I
2: don't take the option. I think you give him a full-blown extension this offseason. I, I think you give him the extension. Um uh, You got to remember, this guy's been doing it by himself. He was supposed to have Lawson on the edge this year, which was going to take the pressure off of him. Myers had a little bit of a spurt there, a good run. Uh, Then Huff gets hurt. It's like we haven't had a full D-line. Quinnen has said all the right things. He's done all the right things. He's been out there by himself. Uh, When you look at D-line, look at the Rams with Donald. Even though Donald is... The best interior D-lineman probably ever has had Robert Quinn. They went out and got Fowler. They went out and get Von Miller. Because even the Rams know, as great as Donald is, an edge presence helps your interior. You can neutralize the interior with rollouts. Sometimes triple teams on Donald. Quinn in in one-on-one matchups, and there's an edge presence on the outside. It takes him... His quickness is his speed and his get off is elite. But when you get a big mauler, he can be neutralized. But if you have an edge guy, that now you're stunting with speed and speeds coming up the middle instead of Quinnen going up on a guard. The scheme and what you can do when you have an edge guy, and hopefully you know I'm manifesting it. Aiden Hutchinson and Lawson, Myers and Quinnen on passing downs that's a hell of a pass rush that that's going to take Quinnen to another level. If Quinnen wants to wait and play up and he says, I, I want to wait another year for the extension, then obviously, yes, you take it. But if you're Joe Douglas, we finally got a, is deserving of a second contract. I think the conversation should happen. Do you want to take the contract extension now? Or do you want to bet on yourself, play another year, because then we'll take the option? I think the Jets approach Quinnen and say, we love everything you've done. We love the guy that you are in the community. You're a man of the year nominee this year. We respect you and what you're doing for the team. Do you want the extension now, or do you want us to take the option and extend you next offseason? But he deserves it. He, He deserves it. From a Jets fan standpoint, do it now. Cause you might save a little bit because once you get those edge guys and then he balls out next year, it's going to cost you more. So from a fan aspect, from a cap aspect, from an organization, organization aspect, do it now from a quinning aspect, you bet on yourself. You could probably add 10, 15 million more to that contract next year. If you go out and you hit double digit sacks and you, and you ball out, Jeremy, what do you think? I agree. Um, I,
3: I, you know, if you can get him at a reasonable price and an extension, like if and we get a little bit of a discount because we do it now, um, lock him down. You know, one of the things that you, you people don't talk about is he doesn't get nearly the reps um, as the other top ins- interior inf- interior guys as well. Like like the way we rotate. And he still put up numbers that were really impressive, like when you consider the amount of snaps he plays. Also, another key thing that we noticed during the season um Mean you know a lot of people I watch with and talk to is that his sacks are actually meaningful. The timing of his sacks are he's a, he steps up at the right moments. They're third and eight, when, you know, when they're at our twenty. I mean, like he does it at the big moments. So and that's the kind of guy you want. You don't want a guy who does it, you know, the waste down by twenty points or you're up by thirty points. And they they stack their stats. This guy was a you know stepped up as a leader when we in those big moments. Um, and if we can get in, that would be nice just to know that that's done. we got JFM who's going to move to the inside. Then we all, we just have to hope Lawson comes back from that injury, real you know, and and is like a Kevin Durant kind of success story from that kind of injury. And then if one of those two guys, Thibodeau Hutchinson, slip, I mean, we that's going to be a dangerous, dangerous defensive
0: line. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The only thing, though, is I would uh... – I would use the fifty year option on quitting. Now, Nick, I understand your, your point of view as far as locking them up because you think that you could probably get them at a hometown discount right now. Here's the problem. And we saw this a little bit with John Franklin Myers, which I'm a little bit disappointed. Sometimes give that contract to a player, they have a tendency to disappear on the football field. Now, I know that our defensive line, which was supposed to be one of the strengths of this defense going into this season— Got decimated by injuries, not having Carl Lawson, not having Vinnie Curry, not really having the type of rotation that we would have liked to have, Quinning continuing to get double teamed and so on, but JFM played his ass off the year before last. And in this year, there were times where he made an impact and there were times where he completely disappeared. And I think that Joe Douglas is looking for guys that when you step out onto the field, I need you to have an impact. And you need to have an impact right away, early, and often. So I think that if it were me, and I'm Joe Douglas, I'm having this conversation with Quinn Williams saying, I need you to get better. We'll extend your option. And at the end of next season, if you're in a spot where we want you to be, then we'll, we'll, we'll have a conversation about contract extension. And I think that they'll they'll... They'll throw the bag at him, but I think that for for
2: let me ask you guys this. Okay, let me throw out a uh, a scenario for you. Muhammad Wilkerson contract six years, eighty five million, right? Okay, Is that a bad contract for Quinnen? Or you take that right now? I'm pretty sure it was six for eighty five, right, for Mo? Right, but Mo Mo was also coming off a I career year, though. I think thirty five. I think 35 was guaranteed, but I'm almost certain it was 6 or 85 with like 35 or 37 guaranteed. I'd have to look it up, but off the top of my head, don't forget, after the Bengals game, Salah said, we go as this D-line goes. And let's I, – I understand, CJ, you made a great point with, with Myers. I, I don't want to say he disappeared, but that's right when Huff got hurt. True. And Edge would need to compliment one another, right? Because if you don't have a legitimate threat on the other side – you can be chipped. You could be double-teamed. You, you can be neutralized if you're an only guy. And it was supposed to be Lawson, Quinnen, Rankins, and, and Myers and Huff. You saw the approach of the front office and the coaching staff was to stack rusher after rusher after rusher. You look at the Niners. I, I post this picture on Twitter, Facebook. Every time I see people talking and say, we got to take Stingley Jr., I post a picture of the last 12 first of the 49ers guard lineman edge, tackle, edge, edge, tackle, edge. It's nonstop. They took Jimmy Ward to safety with the 28th pick of the first round late in the first round, but all of their early picks are linemen on both sides of the ball. And they win in the trenches and pray to Jesus Christ that they win in the trenches this weekend against the Cowboys, but that's another topic for another podcast. But mm. America's team this week is the Bills and the 49ers because we need both of those teams to win. <laughs> yeah. But you look at the the plan for the team. They don't take corners early. No, no, no. Show no. me on the 49ers where they took a cornerback before the second round. I'll tell you right now, they didn't. They signed Sherman in the twilight of his career on, on a cheaper deal. Mm-hmm. But this – team believes in coaching up and building up their secondary and teaching them the scheme and having good tacklers in the open field and getting after the quarterback. So you're going to see major investments. I, I would be shocked if Quinnen doesn't get a contract extension this off season, because I think you want to start showing the players we're going to reward you for being a good guy in the community we're going to reward you for not bringing any negativity to right. the organization. Uh, so I'd I be shocked, but I don't think it's a guarantee. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, I don't know I if i it going both ways. I don't know if I would go the six-year route like like they did with Mo. I mean, for me, I could probably see four years, $50 fifty million, twenty-eight guaranteed. He's
2: young too. He's only I think. 23. He's true. young too. He's only 23, so you can get him the first two or three years before he even hits his prime at 26, 27.
0: Yeah, that is true. That's kind of an interesting problem to have because there's a part of you that says, "Yeah, you want to lock him up because you want him to be a jet forever," and then there's another part that's like, "Well, dude, you really didn't show me much this season. You need to step up." So, the good faith, we'll, we'll 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 give you a con You know, we'll we'll pick up the 50-year option. But you got to show me that you can play here on a consistent, on a high level consistently. So, but I, but, you know, again, there's so many mitigating factors involved where JFM didn't play right, Jeopardy didn't play right, Foley was out for a couple of games, the defensive rotation never happened the way that they wanted to because their, their depth kind of disappeared. So, I mean, I don't know. It, it's, you know, it's. It's, an interest, it's actually an interesting debate for the offseason because if you take a look at stats, take a look at extending a 50-year option versus giving him a, a, a more Wilk, Wilkerson-type deal like Nick just alluded to. That's a great debate. That really is. That's a great debate. But I mean, It sounds like a good deal to me, but what I like about that deal
3: is I think it's a reasonable— yearly cap hit the guarantee like if it was like that deal of 35 million that's two you know basically two and then you're going to take a hit if you cut them the third season so you're talking about three which is kind of perfectly aligned with when picks we're gonna to have to worry about making all those decisions so when it's time to make all those big money decisions and like we're you know for you know we're gonna th- be thinking about zach at that time and avt and we're gonna you know we're going to have a lot of money decisions to make because that draft and then back Beckton before that, by then we're going to be paying him. It's the right time to know if hopefully, we miss, right? If we miss, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> but we know that if we miss and if, and if Williams is a disappointment, we can get out of it. Right? So when you say 35 million guaranteed, I hear the perfect timing of being able to make a good educated decision at that time. And Hey, if we get three
2: more years of him, He'll be a bargain if he works out, right? And, and you structure better. the contract yeah. where the year that the cap goes up really big, yeah. he gets paid well that year before everyone else needs their extensions. So you balloon him that year yeah. before you got to pay the quarterback and you got to do everybody else. And you could put incentives. It's the big thing now, right? You see everybody getting incentives. You get eight sacks it's a half a million. You get 10 sacks, it's a million. You get 12 sacks, it's two million. You can put bonuses in every year to hide the money in the contract where it's not guaranteed and it's not hitting your cap because that seems to be players betting on themselves getting those incentives. It's a way that teams are working around the the extra money. You could put half a million for six sacks. You could structure it lower to make it more credible that he reaches those and you're paying him his money instead of the guaranteed money on top. So that's where Douglas and the creativity and the fact that we all know he's not going to put us in cap hell. We know he's not going to write bad contract after bad contract. All of his contracts are going to be team friendly, able to get out of, like you said, if mm-hmm. God forbid there's a disaster with the player. Uh, but but that's where we put all our faith in J.D., right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, wa- he wasted no time in, in, in making cuts man, before the way. Buffalo <laughs> game. <laughs> he, he wasted no time in making cuts after the before the Buffalo game. Shaq Lawson out. He cut some other dude I never even heard of. He ain't playing around. He already trying to get his cap cap situation straight so that way when 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 March 13th comes around, start of the new NFL calendar year, that he he could he could hit the ground running. So it's going to be really interesting to see after the playoffs, after the Super Bowl. When we finally get that calm down period, when you start seeing uh, players released, who's getting cut, who's this, who's that, different coaches getting hired, and so on and so forth. So, the NFL landscape next year is going to look dramatically different than it did this year. So, it should be interesting to see. All right, anyhow, let's finish up with some final thoughts. Jeremy, you're on the clock. Go for it.
3: I got suckered into the paper thing, like in— oh, look how good we are here and there and there. I didn't see the injuries coming. So, you know, I, w- I was hoping that we could surprise everybody and get more like seven, eight wins this season. So obviously I'm disappointed in that. But I am happy with, I would say the thing I'm happy with, trying to stay really positive, is it's not like the season before. Forgetting whether we've won two or four games. It's a totally different feeling. When the 20 season ended, there was like, there was nothing. There was so little to be happy about or excited about. This year, we leave the season with a quarterback who, a rookie quarterback who progressed and got better, came back after the injury, was a totally different quarterback. You see the growth. You see him becoming what could be the what we've been waiting for for so long. Um, then we we look, and Michael Carter, I think, at running back, as I knew he was good, but that's actually a surprise to me because – I'm seeing a guy who might be elite. Like, we might have a, a top 10, top 8, top 6 running back in this league. Before he hit that injury, that run, and his progression, and you remember, again, he's a rookie. And you don't usually don't see rookie running backs playing, you know, putting up 1,000-plus seasons anyway. But from what I was seeing, can you imagine when we build up that offensive line, when we get that right guard, and, and we're growing that line, how good Michael Carter's going to be? Um, And then you got Elijah Moore, who that's my boy, that's my guy, um, who I think is going to be a very special player. Then on the other side, you got the other Michael Carter, who already is a top 10, if not higher, slot cornerback in his rookie year. To me, that spells a guy who's going to be top three elite guy at his position. I think Bryce Hall stepped up nicely. I don't know if he's the CB1 in the future, but when our edge improves it, Imagine when we pressure the guys. Imagine when the edge is there, when Lawson's back, when we get that draft pick, how good Price Hall becomes. And then people want to knock on Eccles. Why? It's common for a rookie quarterback to get um, picked on. It's to make mistakes. Um, I think it's amazing when you consider what round he was picked, that he was able to contribute and be not he was not a disaster, which is incredible. So to me, I'm I'm excited because we leave this season with. A lot of new guys and a lot of, you know, tons of draft capital, cast space, and actually real core players to build around now. So I'm feeling good about it. I trust the coaching staff. I think they grew and improved too as the season went on.
0: All right. Nikki, you're up. You're on the clock. Go for it. Final thoughts. We got the blue-collar
2: guys this year, right? We got Vera Tucker in the trenches. And all the rookies that you mentioned, I don't even think you brought up Vera Tucker. That's how good this draft class is. You didn't even mention our blue chip player of it. I've said all year, he doesn't take losses. He makes something out of nothing time and time again. He'll spin off a guy two yards deep, lunge forward, get plus three. So it's a plus five on the play. But that's a five-yard difference. Second and 12 and second and seven is a major difference in this league. And my line all year is, imagine how good Michael Carter is going to be when he has actual holes to run through. He is going to be fantastic. He is a poor man's Marshall Falk. He can run. He can catch. He can make guys miss. When the line gets better, this kid is going to blow up. I don't think it's crazy next year because we all feel and think we're investing, excuse me, another blue chip piece into the line. 1,100 yards running. 500 yards receiving. I don't think it's crazy to think he's going to have a 1,600-yard season next year if everything goes the right way. You look at this system. Look at the Niners. Everyone's like, oh, Zach Wilson, I need 35 touchdowns. Stop. That's not what this system does. He's going to be Jimmy G. He's going to manage the game. Give us a drive at the end of the game to win it. Make some key third-down throws. If there's a game where the matchup is hot, yeah, you might go for 350 and three touchdowns. But week in and week out, Give us between 225 and 250, make some key third down throws, execute the offense the right way, and then some weeks catch and run. You blow up with stats, but we're we're not going to be a, a Brady, a Rodgers, a Dak throwing the ball all over the field. We are going to grind. We are going to control the clock. We're going to make key throws. We're going to get off. We're going to keep the offense on the field. We're going to rest the defense, and then we're going to play. Get after the quarterback. Because my thing time and time again, Giants beat the Patriots twice by sending four. Uh, San Francisco got to the Super Bowl by sending four. The Buccaneers last year, even though I think their Super Bowl is a complete farce because of the injuries to the Green Bay offensive line and the Kansas City offensive line, nobody talks about how banged up those two offensive lines were. It's the only reason they won the Super Bowl is because you had backups, backups trying to block four guys. The key is, when you play this zone, you keep seven back, get a little faster at middle linebacker. I know the two guys we drafted that were safeties and moved up, uh, Sherwood and Nazaldine, both got hurt. They were supposed to grow into bigger roles this year. One might just be a special teamer, which ain't bad. You can't hit on every pick, right? The fact that we had all these guys contributing and playing, and even Marshall, our seventh-round pick, if we lose Fatou Kassi, he might move into a bigger role. You look at this draft class. And, and something that is hope. We hope players work out. We hope the coaching staff does the right thing. We hope the GM hits on back-to-back draft classes. I think when you look at this this organization and where they are and the structure they have and the culture they have and the drafting captains time and time again, when you have a team of leaders, you don't need anybody to be, be led. And, and that's where this team is going. It's a team that we are going to be excited about. It's a team that is going to manhandle people. Uh, We manhandled the Buccaneers in the run game with backups on backups. Yep. That's why I'm picking the Eagles this weekend. Because if we manhandled the Buccaneers, I think the Eagles will manhandle the Bucs and run all over them this weekend. But when you can manhandle people in the trenches, you have a chance every single week. Because you don't have to rely on receivers to get open all the time. You don't have to rely on your tight end to to dog the linebackers. When you can line up and beat the shit out of people in the trenches and get four yards a clip, you're going to frustrate them. You're going to make them get out of their, their safety zone. And that's when, as an offensive coordinator with LaFleur, who, to me, the of our team this year was Mike LaFleur. From the beginning, when we couldn't score in the first half, to having touchdown drives three in a row. The best thing that happened to Mike LaFleur this year was Zach getting hurt. Because he doesn't give Blackout, Josh Johnson, or Mike White fail. There's no investment in them. He was able to evolve the playbook, and you saw us light it up. When he gets to that comfort zone with Zach, it's gonna be a very, very dangerous team. Uh I'm excited. As you could tell, like I'm I'm very excited about the future of our team. Because it's going to be built the right way, it's going to have sustainability, and it's going to have just a wrecking ball, which is the type of football
0: I love. Mm-hmm. I could have kept going, but I, I'll, I'll cut it short. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I love it. All right, guys, real quick, I'm going to wrap it up as our show's running a little bit longer, and our uh, our uh, our main producer over at Worldwide Sports Radio Network uh, letting me go. So, just real quick. This, this season didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to, but you know what? It, it's got to get better on the horizon. Joe Douglas and Robert Silas still have a lot of work to do, but it'll get done. So we have to let football people do football work, and that's pretty much where I'm going to leave it. We got the entire offseason to piss, bitch, and moan about what happened, what we think should happen, mock drafts, this mock draft, that mock draft. I can't wait for Rock, for Rockaway Archie, Simon Baccarella, and, and now uh, Jeremy Cravat over here to do a mock draft 110.2, you know, which will be coming out very soon. So, anyhow. CJ, you're going to hate me. I do mock draft Monday. Nice. There we go. So, in that case, we got to add in Nick Shine's mock draft 214.1. So, all right. He's going toe-to-toe with, uh, what's-his-face there, Um, uh, uh, Todd McShay (laughs) from uh, ESPN that always has, uh, you know, 50,000 mock drafts. So, I think his cat has a mock draft, too, so. Who the hell knows? We'll find out. We got all off season. All, all off season. Anyhow, we're going to get out of here. Follow us on Twitter at TNC Jets Factor. Follow me at JetsFan0523. Kevin Jackson at Spotty Blackman. Jimmy the Reaper Jardine at Jets by Jimmy. Three places you can catch Weapons Hot. One, here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network every Friday night at 7 p.m. Two, uh, Weapons Hot After Dark on YouTube. Uh, get us to 250 subscribers. Come on. If you get us to 250 subscribers, we'll do something cool. I promise. All right, spread the word. And number three, uh, every Tuesday night on Jets World, yours truly does a solo segment called Weapon Talk Mission Briefs. So uh, real quick, we'll go around the room. Jeremy, give out your social media information so fans of Weapon Talk can follow you. And then right after Jeremy's done, Nick, you chime right in as well.
3: NFL Chaos with Jeremy on YouTube, 30 Eastern PM. I'll be on a little bit later. Friday nights, I'll uh, pop in and just do like a, a hangout or mock draft. A lot of the people like... (laughs) who follow me know that you never know when i'm gonna pop on so i always tell people who go to my youtube channel um hit the notification bell i also have tons of guests so um uh, spotty was on um on a wednesday with me cj you're obviously in the lineup and eventually we'll get together and hook up and you'll be with me on a wednesday you you won me over man anybody who calls me their man crush and uh, yeah. yeah, you know, hook up with me on Twitter or something. I'm at Jeremy Cravat or something. Let's hook up on Twitter. I'd love to have you on. Um, I always have an open invitation to my friends to join me. It's like I, I don't. I hate being alone in front of the camera. So it's always good to have good people that love the Jets, that have good takes. And uh, NFL chaos for Jeremy, that's what it's all about
0: right now.
2: I've run a Facebook page called Proud New York Jets Fans. Um, search me out on there. Jeremy, hit me up, and then we'll connect, and we'll talk. Uh, also the same on YouTube. Jimmy Jardine and I started it. Uh, neither one of us has the laptop equipment to facilitate the page right now. Uh, I'm getting one shortly, so we're going to get back into doing our podcast together. Uh, once we get that going, you guys are more than welcome You know, join all the time. Uh, Twitter, BigNick underscore S-E-C- 325. I started in 2016 and my seats were in section 325. But yeah, thank you for having me on again. Appreciate it, man. as you can tell, I could talk Jets
0: forever. Dude, you're welcome back anytime. You know that. All right, gentlemen, for Mr. Jeremy Cravat and Mr. Nick Shine Jr., I'm your host, CJ Simone. We are gonna sign off for tonight. And we will see you guys when we see you guys. Peace, love, go Jets. And I'm gonna leave you guys tonight with the best chant in the national football league this has been weapons hot a new york jets fan broadcast on the worldwide sports radio network it's the worldwide sports radio network